All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Sales. It's your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo. Uh, we got a lot happening this week. Uh, before we get even into this week's podcast, I'll just say, get out there and vote. It's Tuesday morning when you might be listening to this uh, fresh off the press. So if you haven't, take some time, get in line, go to a Dropbox, whatever you got to do. Um, Otherwise, I'm really excited for this week's episode. I've got Tom Short as a guest on the podcast. So Tom is, first of all, he's the only Tom other than me that's been on the show. So we cover that, uh, which, you know, congrats to him for being the, you know, the first non-me Tom to come on. Uh, but he's the chief growth officer over at Lappin 180. So they're a uh, sales trainer based out of, he's based out of uh, Indianapolis. And um, you know, we got introduced earlier this year. And he's been a great person that I've gotten to meet and got to know personally. Um, and really put simply, Tom is really focused on mindset, right? Uh, he brings um, some great perspective to the sales community. Um, and we talk about a lot of things. You know, we talked about um, his path to where he is. He, um, you know, the first time that we met, we actually had a conversation. And the first question he asked me, not, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Where do you work? So on and so forth. He asked, what are, what are three books that you've read that have changed your life and why? And um, as someone that loves reading um, and has a lot of those types of conversations with people, it just, I've never been asked that before and um, had never started off a conversation like that. So um, he just really is very intentional and thoughtful with the way that he does a lot of things. I think you'll notice that in this week's episode. Um, so we talked about a lot of different, you know, we talked about his books, the three books that have changed his life. We talk about, um, his morning routine, how he went from basically nothing to taking, uh, the first, you know, two hours, sometimes, you know, it depends on the day, but two out up to two hours in the morning, um, to, you know, work on things, whether that's a, you know, a workout, he has different mantras that he says he has different, um, you know, writing, uh, journaling that he does. He'll get into all that. Um, and then we get tactical, you know, how he sets up different hour long blocks for prospecting throughout the day. Again, sometimes, you know, five hours a day of different types of prospecting from calling to emailing to leveraging LinkedIn. And, you know, we get tactical on how to have a converse, better conversation with C-suite executives, right? So he is a C-suite exec. He's calling into other C-suite execs. Um, so I wanted to know, you know, what can I do? How can I resonate better with those folks on a cold call, on an email? on a planned Zoom meeting, right? For all you other folks that are out there that might be early on in your career, you're meeting with the 50 year old CEO or CMO or CSO, whatever it might be. Um, you know, he has some great tactics for really trying to just have more, more of a conversation, right? Um, and less about jamming product down someone's throat or less about being so salesy and really just, again, trying to have a peer to peer conversation. And um, you know, he talks about how he does that, how he would recommend doing that. Um, and then even a little bit about, you know, on the side from all this other stuff that he does professionally, he's been a, a basketball referee at a high level for a long time, was fortunate enough to even coach some of the practices for the U.S. Olympic team. So he's um, he has refereed in games with, that Kobe Bryant has played in. And we talked about his work ethic and everything that he's learned from just seeing all those high caliber athletes and being around them as well. So. Uh, he dropped some great book recommendations. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. If you're someone that is a sales leader, 
If you're someone that is uh, prospecting on a daily basis, for sure. If you think your morning routine is a little weak right now, absolutely. Um, if you are calling, emailing anyone um, and hoping to be a little bit crisper with who you're talking to, you're going to enjoy this episode. So if you do enjoy this, if you get any inch of value, um, I would love if you subscribed and left a review. If you're on uh, Apple or Spotify, if you're on YouTube, hello. Uh, you can check me out and see how handsome both Tom and I are uh, and like and subscribe there. That's it. No other ads for, the, for this whole show. No other revenue, nothing coming in here, uh, just straight content. So do me a favor, give me a subscribe, give me a review. Otherwise, we're going to get straight into this conversation with Tom Short. Let's go. Tom Short, good morning. Welcome to Millennial Sales. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing outstanding. How are you? Phenomenal. Excited to be here today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to have you. I, I think, you know, I was just thinking about this this morning. I think you're the first uh, Tom to come on the show outside of me in 170 something episodes. So what that's an accomplishment. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think I've been trying to hold on to the being the coolest Tom around and I've decided to, you know, step down and, and take the silver medal for today. So uh, I'm excited to have you on. I appreciate being here. So how about this for a way to start? The, uh, you know, we met through LinkedIn and um, you know, LinkedIn's been such a, a great way to meet like-minded people, especially this year when you, you can't meet as many people in real life. Um, and we had a conversation and the first thing that you asked me, and I'm paraphrasing, but was asking, uh, you know, not where I lived or what I did or whatever, but what were the, you know, three books that stood out that changed my life or that I recommend the most or that really had a major impact on me. So I'd love to dig in on why that's how you started our conversation. You hit it right on the head. This is, this has been a, a strange year. Nonetheless, how you look at it, it can either be, Hey, let's just wait till everything gets back to normal or so what now what, right? Like let's, let's go. And so as I was having more virtual conversations with people, I was just personally kind of getting bored of the same, like, hey, where are you from? Tell me about what you do. And then you look down and you're like, well, this was the first 15 minutes. And so like yourself as an avid reader, and we've talked about books a lot, I was like, what's a way to just kind of break it up right from the get-go and just see how it goes, right? I've never done that before. And as you said, the question I've, I've asked and have still asked to this day is, hey, tell me three books that not only kind of describe you in a, in a way, but also that have had a really big impact on you. And then what's one thing that you've taken from that book that you put into action? And I think that's, it's, it's kind of the perfect trifecta. It's not just, hey, tell me books you'd recommend, but you, you learn about the person and it can really take your conversation down a path that you really didn't know. And it kind of gets into the conversation a lot quicker instead of just, you know, that kind of aimless 15 minutes of, Hey, what do you do? Where you been? All that kind of stuff. And it serves as a pattern interrupt too, which, you know, 
is helpful. And, you know, that's something that I hear Tony Robbins talk about a lot too, and just kind of disrupting your, your normal pattern, your normal way of thinking. You can do that on, you know, a cold call, for example, versus, you know, just whatever a normal opening line might be. But that was not what I was expecting you to say. So instead of me driving into you know, the, the normal introduction that I've said a thousand times, it's like a two minute about me. It's like, oh, wow, now I got to think. And like, I'm kind of locked into this conversation. I feel like it connects. It makes a, a better connection that way. Yeah. And you just, you never, I think you might've been the closest person of the three books you mentioned. And I'd have to go back to my notes, but uh, books that I've heard of and or have read, but the coolest part about it is you're going to really get an insight into somebody pretty quick. And and get some good recommendations that you probably would have never kind of stumbled upon because sometimes we stay kind of in our own narrow focus and lane of, of books we read. So yeah, it really gives you an insight and it allows that person to share as much or as little as they want, as opposed to just, Hey, I'm from here and this is what I do. Cause that's what everybody says. Like, tell me something else. Yeah. So what were the three, what are your three? So my three, I, I would say the first one I will mention, I will always mention the other two, I'll, I'll change up. The first one is The Man's Search for Meaning. And the second one, The Courage to be Disliked. And the third one is The Obstacle of the Way by Ryan Holiday. So they each have special meanings. Um, the, the Courage to be Disliked and Obstacle of the Way, great books for, for different reasons. But A Man's Search for Meaning is one of those books that I'll continuously go back to, Tom. Uh, in school, I, I got a chance when in, in college to go to the concentration camp. So that puts that book that hits a little bit harder, actually being there and seeing the stuff that, that Viktor Frankl talks about. Um, and I think I told you when we, when we first chatted, after like the third day of COVID, I went right back into that book. And, and for those of your listeners that don't know, Viktor Frankl is in the concentration camps, loses family, um, has all of his life's work taken away from him. And he still has the ability to realize the only thing you can't touch in a human being is how they respond to things. And I'm like, what a perfect just framework for everything that we're going through. Like we can't, we don't know when this is all going to get back to normal, but we also can't sit around and wait and, and just figure things out. So it's like, it was a great North star, if you will, of like, Hey, let's recenter and, and let's get after it. And it's, it also serves just as a matter of perspective, at least for me, reading stories like that, or right now I'm, I'm just at the tail end of reading Endurance. Have you read that? I haven't. So it's uh, er Sir Ernest Shackleton, and he, it's him leading um, an, uh, an expedition across the Antarctic in like 1914. And so it's like 40 men and the ship gets stuck in an iceberg and they have to go across the entire you know all of antarctica and uh, it's just this grueling multi-year expedition and then i i go back and i take a step back after reading that sometimes and i'm like these guys you know had had only eaten seal for like three years they're in negative 20 degrees you know the whole time they're soaked some guy gets his foot sawed off like all this stuff's happening and like i'm gonna complain about this you know or like i'm getting upset about this and Sometimes I catch myself and I, I like to open my mind up to those really, uh, you know, in-depth details of adversity because it's like, man, I'm, you know, I've got, like, my problems are way up here compared to that. And it, it just helps to kind of reset my mindset a little bit if I start to get down. 
you mentioned a great word there, Tom, in, in perspective. And that's when I've really taken the heart. You've read The Obstacle of the Way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the George Clooney story in there is one that I read every single day. It's in my mindset um, framing that I that I've shared with you. And, you know, that's just such a powerful word because you could take two people, have them look at the exact same thing, but yet they look and, and operate in two completely different ways. So to me, perspective is such a powerful world word because you can, you can just go so many different ways and two people can be looking at the exact same thing. So you, you brought up, you beat me to the punch about that, the, the mindset kind of motto picture. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about mindset today, but you sent me this like two pager um, that you, you mentioned the other week that you, you read, I think every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have you elaborate a little bit, but you know, at the top, it says nobody cares, work harder. Um, and then you've got kind of four principles, uh, you know, zero expectations, no regrets. Um, this doesn't mean anything yet and, and be a peer to peer. And then you kind of have some, you know, two different stories about, you know, perspective and then, you know, uh, the, the little voice inside of you. So uh, I'd love for you to just break this whole thing down. Um, what, where did it come from? And then, you know, what maybe add some color into what the, is actually on those two sheets. And then we can maybe get into what the habit is or the ritual is of, of when you read that or, or write that or, or how you use that to help you in your day to day. So for me, and what might help your listeners is to provide a little context of how I got there as opposed to just kind of telling you what it is, which, which I will share. So a couple of years ago, when I really wanted to dial in my morning routine, the biggest change for me, and I'm sure we'll get into this, was and something I still do today, no phone for the first two hours. I was in a place, and I know a lot of people are, we, we wake up, um, we, we look at our phone, and, and we react, right? We react to emails, personal or professional. We react to text maybe from the night before. We, re, we, we look at notifications on our phone, whether they be from social media or sports or whatever. And if any of that stuff is not good, that sets our our mindset for the rest of the day and it's it's just a trickle down effect so when i made the decision to not look at my phone for the first two hours and i'm going to dictate how my day unfolds and i'm going to respond and not react i then got to the point of okay how what is something i can also build on that that lets me frame my day not only to start, but once I get in the office and get my day going. And so repetition is everything, right? So I, as you mentioned, it's a two page document. I read it, it's posted in my office, both, both at home and here at the office. I, I read it, I look at it, and then I've also recorded it into my phone and I'll listen to it. So I'm, I'm getting it from all these different sensory levels. And as you mentioned, you know, the top is nobody cares, work harder. Like we do something great, nobody cares, work harder. Like you didn't hit your number, nobody cares, work harder. So it's just a great place to come just being neutral, like not getting too high. And that probably stems from my days uh, on the officiating court, uh, on the basketball court, and that you, you just kind of had to have a, a permanent poker face. And so I think that's really where that derived from. And then as you mentioned, the, the four key takeaways of anytime you're in a conversation, you know, from a sales standpoint of no expectations, um, when anytime you, you're talking to a prospect or anyone else, there, there's no expectation of it to, to come. No regrets. You don't want to leave that conversation 
you know, think, you know, playing the, I wish I would have, or I should have, or, you know, should have asked this question. I didn't want Tom to get mad at me or, you know, think. And, and, and so it's just getting to that point where like, I'm going to ask, if I need to ask, I got to ask. Um, it doesn't mean anything yet. So how many times have we had conversations where you're like, oh, this is great. Definitely going to be a client and then nothing happens. And then on the flip side, terrible first conversation, maybe the timing's not right on their end and then something comes from it, right? So whatever happens, like it's just, again, staying in that neutral place and then peer to peer. Too often, whether it's sales or otherwise, we tend as human beings to put others on a pedestal, right? So whether you're just starting in sales or you've been in sales, those words behind someone's name, their title, that doesn't mean anything. They're still a human being. They still have, you know, their own insecurities that they deal with. They still have things that's going on in their world. It's just a conversation. And whatever you do in your career, when you're reaching out to someone to start a conversation, like they're really good at what they do. Like chances are they're not very good or spend their time in doing what you do. So just getting to that point of just imagine if, if your CEO picked up the phone and called another CEO, like what would that conversation look and sound like? And come from that place. So those are the four things um, to, to really get my, my day going. And then as you mentioned, the, the other two, there's two stories. I, I alluded to it earlier. The George Clooney story of perspective um, in Obstacles Away, a 30 second summary is when Clooney started in Hollywood, he wasn't getting any roles. He wasn't getting any gigs. And he was looking at it like, man, wh why can't anyone see how good I am? And how true is that in sales? Like we often are like, why doesn't someone see my value, right? Like we look at it from a selfish standpoint. And so when, when he switched his perspective and realized that directors and producers have a real problem, they're trying to figure out if that next person that walks through the door for the audition is gonna be the answer to their problem. And when he switched and made that one switch in perspective, that's when everything took off. And so, you know, for me, it's, I have to make calls or I have to do this to I get to start conversations. So a fundamental shift from I have to, I get to, and then conversations are a chance, you know, to possibly solve their problem, not mine. You know, my problem would be, I'm not hitting my number. My boss is on my case, all, all things looking inward. But if you take your perspective and put it out and say, Hey, not everyone needs what I have, but I don't know who does. So I'm just going to go start as many conversations as possible. And then the last piece, as you, as you mentioned, is the little voice. Uh, it, it's from an interview that Kobe did several years ago. And he, he asked the, the interviewer, it's one of my favorite clips is like, do you negotiate with that little voice in your head? Right? Like, and we all have that voice, right? Like that's, that's the thing, regardless of where you get in your career path, athletes, musicians, sales, like everyone has that voice. So when things get tough and it's like, hey, it's just a Tuesday, I don't need to do whatever that hard thing is. Are you negotiating with that voice? Or are you just hearing the voice and saying, no, I'm going to do it. If for no other reason, I know everyone else is going to negotiate with that voice. I'm going to compete with myself and, and show myself that I can. So those are just reminders every single day um, to know where I need to be from a from a mindset standpoint. And it's just been a great reminder and and constantly seeing it to really set my day from the beginning of the day throughout the rest. And when, so you mentioned a few things there. Uh, so you mentioned that, you know, you don't check the phone for the first two hours of the day. So, uh, and I, it seems like this is something that you do to start your day. So how does this incorporate into that morning routine 
that you were talking about and that you were kind of shoring up at the time? Yeah. So I think the frustrating thing for me, Tom, was I didn't really have a morning routine. And like most people, I probably went from zero to a hundred and that didn't work. And I got frustrated. Right. So I needed to take a step back and say, and James Clear talks about this in Atomic Habits. What's just one thing I can do a small thing, do that for a week or two weeks and then add another small thing. And then before you know it, now I have a two hour morning routine that doesn't involve the phone. So, you know, for me, it's, it's starting with the daily stoic every morning. Um, it's a book Ryan holiday has, it's a five minute, um, one page just to set my mind, you know, for the day, it's a good, good foundation building block. I even, I created my own journal being the perfectionist that I am. I couldn't find a journal that I like. So now I've got a two page journal every day and I just write at the top, the daily stoic theme of the day. So each chapter has a theme. And then within that journal, which I spend five minutes on is, you know, gratitude, um, affirmations, and then intentions. So things I'm grateful for, not only in the present, but things that haven't materialized yet. Um, affirmations, I am statements. I just, I rattle off a bunch of those. And then what are my intentions for the day? That's five minutes. Then I'm going to do um, some meditation, no more than 10, 15 minutes, just kind of whatever I'm feeling for that day. And then there's going to be some personal reading and, and some physical workouts. So probably 30 minutes uh, of each and, and I'm ready to, and that, that gets my day going. Now I know what a lot of listeners are going to say, cause I used to say this, well, I don't have time for that. You're right. You don't, you have time what you make time for. And I was in the same boat. So if you don't have time for that, what Whatever you're saying no to, I'm sorry, whatever you're saying yes to, you're saying no to something else. It, it's before I got into reading, I always said, well, I don't have time to read. And then I saw that the average American spends three and a half hours a day added up aimlessly scrolling through social media or watching YouTube. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but I just wanted to be more intentional of how I was spending my time. And that's when I started to see a shift as well. So I've been there, I've had all the excuses my favorite saying is um, what you have, you know, if it's important enough, you'll make time. If it's not, you'll make an excuse. Mm. And it's, it's also important too, to maybe point out that if someone is in the, in the space you were a few years ago where you had zero routine, you get up and you just do whatever, you don't need to start with the two hour or however long that process takes either. It's like, take one step, just try the journal or just try the meditation or just try a workout in the morning or whatever it is that might help you feel good and then add on to it over time. Yeah. I, I think too many times we try as humans to go full bore and it's like, that's not possible if we haven't built up a foundation. So I, I remember I got frustrated and I was like, I'm just going to go walk for 10 minutes without my phone. That's all I'm going to do. And all right, I did that. And I did that for a week. And then I did that for two weeks. Okay, now what's one other small thing that I can add into the 10 minute walking, right? And so, and you change and look, being a dad now, Tom, I'd be lying if I say every single day is at the same time for two hours, Th things happen, but it's, it's getting back to what Seinfeld said, they asked Jerry Seinfeld, what's the key to success? He said, I printed out a wall calendar. And every day I wrote jokes for two hours. Some days they were good jokes, some days, they, some days they were bad. And I put a red X on the calendar when I did it. The goal was not to have two days in a row where there wasn't an X. So yeah, there's days when my morning routine might be 30 minutes because I've got other things I've got to deal with, but it's just realizing the more that I can hit that 
morning routine, I know I'm going to set myself up for success. Yeah. And it's, you know, I heard someone talking the other day about, you know, preparing for a day of sales, right? Which a day of sales, if you're getting after it and you're in a role where you're prospecting, you're cold calling, you maybe have a lot of meetings with, with prospects or customers, depends on what your role looks like. Um, you know, that's a draining day or can be, and it's a lot of faith, you know, it could be a lot of, you know, face to face over zoom, a lot of conversations, a lot of, you know, mental and emotional, um, effort that you're putting in throughout a full day. Um, and so to, to come at that without being, you know, feeling good yourself is really hard, right? It's like going into, you know, stick with the sports analogy. It's like going into a game without warming up. So warming up your mind and your, your energy levels and priming um, in whatever way feels good for you, I think is super important, whether you have 15 minutes or two hours, depending on the day and depending on what your lifestyle is. I think that makes a huge difference versus just getting up, you know, uh, strolling over to your kitchen because, you know, we're all working from home and, you know, while the coffee's brewing, you just start like sending out prospecting emails. That's just not a way to set yourself up for success. If you, if you take some of that time, set yourself up and then, um, you know, you're able to perform at a higher level. Yeah. I mean, you, you hit it right on the key, right? It's how warming up is everything, you know, both physically and mentally, but just taking, like, we all have five minutes, let's be honest, right? Like, what can you do for five minutes before you start your day? You know, whatever, you know, avocation you're in, but what can you do to just get your mind right and get grounded and set an intention of why you're doing what you're doing? If nothing else, like, why am I going to pick up the phone today? Why am I going to send these emails? What, what, whatever you, and it doesn't have to be, like, whatever you're doing you need to set your mind right because here's, and, and, and you know this, Tom, the biggest misconception with, with people is that like when you reach a certain level and, and whatever you do, it's like, there's no more fear. There's no more um, doubt. There's no more, you know, self-talk, Like none of that stuff goes away. It's how quick you can have the self-awareness to snap out of that. So by setting your intentions and, and priming your mind for as little as five minutes, can make the biggest difference in the world because now you're grounded and you have a place to come back when things go off course. And by the way, if you haven't noticed this year, things are going to go off course. That's why you prepare for this. You don't prepare for the, for the sunshine, you prepare for when it rains. So you, so you can handle that situation. Absolutely. And I, I want to, um, I want to ask about your current role, right? So you are uh, you know, chief, chief growth officer over at Lappin and, I want to kind of dig into a little bit of what that looks like from a day to day. Um, you know, are you, it's a small business, right? So I imagine that you're on the, on the front lines selling like any of us are. Um, so I'm curious, like balancing the high level executive types of conversations versus, you know, prospecting and talking to customers or talking to prospects and things like that. How, how does your day shape out in terms of, of those two categories? You mentioned a, a really important thing there is it, my day starts on Sunday by fully planning out the entire week. Mm. So I start each day or each week, there are non-negotiables in my calendar when it comes to prospecting. Like there's just like, there's not going to be anything that comes up. I'm not going to let that, those blocks get interrupted regardless of what's going on. 
because when you stop even for a day, I've seen things that the, the lag of that could be up to 30 days of affecting new business. So for me, regardless of what's going on, if it's interviewing, you know, coaching candidates, if it's trying to find other people we're trying to bring in on the staff, um, talking about how we can grow as a firm, like that's all fine, but that happens after I have my blocks for prospecting in, in place, non-negotiable, right? Like there's nothing that's going to take the place. And it's so, it's so easy too that, you know, as we're in, like, we can start adding things to our calendar to take up time, like networking calls or, you know, being on podcasts and doing all these things, which, which is great, but you've got to get to the point where that is the extra, that's the stuff on top, not wavering from those activities that are responsible for generating revenue. So when you get really concrete and becoming just maniacal about, I'm not going to do anything else in my day until that's completed, then that really shapes the day. But yeah, I mean, a lot of what I'm doing still is, is picking up the phone, sending emails. That's still a big part of what I do. And that's, that's, as you, as you can appreciate that, I don't think that's ever going to go away. That's always going to be just in the blood of, of, of hunting, right. Of just getting out there having conversations. But again, it starts with my mindset. Like what, what am I doing? Am I, am I trying to set meetings or am I starting conversations? Right. That's again, that I, I've said it multiple times, but I can't stress that enough. It's, it's not to set meetings. It's to start conversations. Mm-hmm. And so what do those, can we get into some detail? Like what do those blocks look like? When are they? How long? Um, it sounds like you're doing like a multi-touch, you're calling, you're emailing, probably some social. What, what does all that look like? Yep. So I've got, I like to operate in, you know, 55 minute breaks or 55 minute blocks and then have five minutes to get up and just, you know, restroom, whatever, and, and, and break away. So I've got, um, two hours of, of phone, phone blocks. I've got two hours of email, and then I've got an hour of, of social bro- and that hour is broken up throughout the day. So like 15, 15 and 15, um, throughout the day. Um, so regardless of what's going on in the day, like those five hours, like aren't getting touched. Like nobody is going to, you know, that's interrupt. five a day. You're saying five a day. <laughs> okay. I thought you were saying one day per week. No, no, no. Uh, five okay. Five a day. Five Go hours. on. Go on. So five hours a day. And then some other things I'm adding in there are some other groups I'm involved with interacting in that like revenue collective um, adding in, um, networking, just kind of one-on-one to, to continue to build my network outside of LinkedIn, kind of how you and I connected the first time I'm, I'm scheduling at least five of those a week. Um, so wherever those can fit into the calendar, um, and then you add in prospect conversations and, and conversations with clients. But again, I'm not going to go have six prospect conversations tomorrow and put a day of prospecting aside. I'm always going to hit those five hours and then filter in everything else on top of that. Mm. And how do you segment those five hours? Like, are they always at a certain time of day or in a certain order, or is it just day dependent? I'll, I'll switch up. I, if I'm going to do calls, I like to do calls, you know, an hour, you know, 55 minutes break, 55 minutes. Um, and I'll, I'll, ro- I'll fluctuate between morning and afternoon. So usually like nine to 11 and one to three are, are the blocks for calls um, and emails. One other thing I'll add in Tom, 30 minutes every morning of, 
of practice, of recording myself, of, of recording myself, whether it be um, openings, listening to calls, how can I ask better questions? Ooh, I could have, I should have dug deeper there. Um, so 30 minutes to start my day of, of practice, both recording myself of, of how I would um, open a call, how I would leave a voicemail, how I would handle certain deflections. And then, um, so that's really five and a half hours that I guess are non-negotiables. Wow. That's, that's epic. I mean, that, that was not what I was expecting. I was almost nervous to ask the question if, you know, someone in the C-suite was actually still prospecting and I didn't want to offend you or put you on the spot right. if you weren't. <laughs> um, well, and that's the thing because so with our clients that we're coaching, I've, I've got the perspective. Not only am I getting pitched, you know, all the time too, which is cool to, to hear those and, and get see examples, but I'm also doing like I'm in the thick of it. So when I, and I'm not coaching our clients, but I do interact with them um, from time to time because I'm hearing and seeing what's working out there. So again, you know, maybe that time will change, uh, you know, go up or down um, over time. But to me, that's always something I'll do um, regardless of whatever title that we hold. Just it's in my blood. And, and this is a good, usually I'm, I've been saving these for the end, but I want to pull it into the middle of, of a, a section I call the selfish section. Okay. Where I want to ask a question specifically for, for me and the listeners don't even need to listen to it. Okay. Um, so you're talking about all the time that you're spending prospecting, obviously, and, and folks are prospecting you um, in the C-suite. So what is, what resonates? What can you, can you point to a meeting that you've taken that someone's trying to sell you in the last say month and what it was about their outreach that got your attention? Uh, there, and there's a lot of, um, folks out there that, you know, say hyper-personalized. I, I go back and forth. Um, I don't think you need to spend a whole lot of time. You know, if you can't find something on a person within 10 minutes, I, I think it's probably time to move on. I'm more in the camp of just be relevant. Um, and you, regardless of it's me or you, like timing is such a big thing in life and you never know where someone is on their own personal journey. So just be relevant based on your experience with others. And if it makes sense, great. And if it doesn't, that doesn't mean, you know, just to get back to that, that real quick, Tom. So I, I just watched The Social Dilemma last week um, with my wife, and that's a, a conversation in and of itself. But then I, I started doing research and I, and I saw somewhere the average American between phone, text, email and notifications on our phone, personal and professional. We're getting pinged, not to mention Slack as well. We're getting pinged an average of 250 times a day. Jesus. So I think about it. that, right? Like, and I'm, I'm, I spend most of my day prospect. Like, so when you start to think that we're not a special unicorn, just because we make a call or send an email so that if somebody doesn't respond, think about everything else that they've got going on in their world. And so coming at it from a place of, hey, I'm not picking up the phone to set a meeting. Like, here's why a conversation might make sense. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That's, you know, that's for us to kind of figure out. But so I'm in the camp of like, just be relevant, be concise. Um, don't beat around the bush. Just tell me what you're trying to say. Um, why you think a conversation might make sense. Um, I don't need to know that, again, this is just me personally. I don't need to know that you saved Tom, you know, 
37% by doing A, B, and like, I don't know if you can, that's the number one thing I hear, by the way, Tom, from talking to presidents and CEOs is why do so many salespeople make assumptions that they can do A, B, and C when we've never had a conversation? That's the number one thing I hear when I reach out and just from in conversations. So not assuming you can help their company, not assuming their team is bumping into whatever you're calling about, but say, hey, based on what I know that you do and we do, here's why a conversation might make sense. You know, bring up problems that you think that they might have and like, hey, what are you doing about A, B, and C? Like, have you thought about this? Get somebody to think, right? Like that's, that's where I really value someone's outreach. And, and I think the second thing I would say, and I know this is a lot of people are gonna be like, well, it works. I've just never understood the like 15, and I, I know this is gonna, like people aren't gonna like this. I've just never understood the like 15 touches in 35 days. I just like, I don't want or need anything that bad in life. And if I do, I'm gonna go find it. So that's the other thing, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I think it was seven emails and 16 days, no call. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, no message through LinkedIn. And then on the seventh email, it's like, I've closed your file. And I'm like, what does that mean? You closed my file. <laughs> every, every time it, the message, nothing to you. Yeah. Every time the message was about them and would love to get 15 minutes, would love to show you what we can do. It's like, how do you know? Right? Like, that yeah. message is all about you and you're using these words that are just self-promoting. Like, you don't, how do you know? And that's the thing we don't. So. So is that, is that the kind of the verbiage that you tend to use, whether it's an email or a call? Like, uh, like I think you said, like, would it make sense to have a conversation? Like you're, you, you are, cl you're clearly confident enough where you're, um, you know, you're reaching out that you might be able to help and you believe in the product, but you, you are not assuming their position or their needs or their goals. And you say, you know, here's maybe what we can do or here's what we do. And, you know, does it make sense to have a conversation? Or maybe, you know, we hear from other folks that they struggle with X, Y, Z. You know, does it make sense to have a conversation? Is that the, the general gist? You got it. In any email, you'll never see LAP and 180 mentioned other than, in the from line of my email. That's the only time you'll ever see, because the reality is nobody cares about who you are or what you do. They wanna know, can you either A, help with a problem I have, or can you help me with something maybe I don't even know I can do better, right? Like maybe there's something out there I didn't even know. And so every, every time that you either pick up the phone or send an email, two things I believe in, one, it needs to be with intention. There needs to be a purpose for what you're doing, not checking in, right? Not following up to see if you got my voicemail, like technology works, probably got your voicemail, but yeah. then also why are you picking up the phone? Why are you sending that email? Hey, Tom, here's something on, you know, here's a recent sales off study that shows emails are being sent up 60% since March and reply rates are down 30. You know, here's something that might help your team to start more conversations outside of email. Like that's an example of something I would send. I'm not assuming that they're having issues with starting conversations. I'm not assuming that their team's bumping into that. I'm taking something based on other conversations with sales leaders and revenue leaders that I know in their industry that is, you know, 
a majority of teams are bumping into, and that's the reason I'm reaching out. And then the bigger kind of 30,000 foot view, but I've, we've mapped out a journey of, of how a prospect should interact with us. And along the steps, it's making them the lead character in this journey. It has nothing to do with me or what I can do. It's, hey, here's things we know are going on in your industry and specific to your role. Here's, you know, here's a nugget, here's a nugget. It's, here's something on the phone, here's an email, here's something on LinkedIn. It's a multi-prong approach and it's a journey that they can become the lead character and I'm just gonna guide them along. It's not, hey, this is my journey, come, come see what I'm doing. Nobody cares, right? Like nobody cares what we're doing. Can you help me with something going on in my world? Or is there something going on that I don't even know about, but because of your expertise and how you position yourself, maybe it makes sense to have a conversation. And when you talk about like personalization, do you, what's your take on personalizing to you specifically? So like you, you have a lot, you know, you're posting on LinkedIn every day. You're talking about interesting things like, uh, you know, refereeing for, you know, world famous athletes, which we'll get to in a minute. But like, if I said something in a prospecting email about, you know, your time refing for Kobe Bryant, um, and then get into a relevant pitch about why we might be helpful for you. Is that for someone that is, you know, at your level, is that interesting? Is that like, wow, he did his homework or like that, that really has nothing to do with what you're trying to sell me and you're just wasting space. Yeah. But it goes back to timing, right? Like I, it would, it would break the pattern recognition of every other email or LinkedIn message where it's like, show up and throw up kind of. So at least they did that. But again, if the timing is not right in my world, like it, in, in anyone's world, like it, to me, it just doesn't matter. Yes, you took the extra steps. So it's better than just like, hey, I put you in the sequence. I'm going to just bombard you. But again, if the timing's not right, that's what it keeps coming down to. Like in sales, there's this, for so long, there's this like urgency and competitiveness of like every single conversation. I've got to, you know, prove to Tom how valuable I am. What if we took that urgency and competitiveness and just went out and started as many conversations as possible so that if timing's not right for Tom right now, that's okay. Because I'm coming at it from a mentality of, I don't know who needs what we have, but I'm going to go start as many conversations as possible. So yes, I'm going to, I'm going to ask some questions to see what's best for you. And, and I'm going to care in the conversation. But at the end of the day, if timing's not right for you, there's too many other people in this world that need what we do. So I'm going to go start as many conversations as I possibly can. Now that's it right there. That's the abundance mindset that it's not, um, you know, it's not scarcity. It's not, Hey, if I can't close lap in 180, I'm not going to hit my number. I'm going to be a failure. This is my last shot. You know, it's like, no, there's, you know, in, in almost anything that you can sell, there's, if not hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, depending on what you're selling of companies or people that have a need for your product or service. So to your point, you could say the most personalized email, you could have the, the cleanest pitch on a call, but if, you know, their company's tanking due to COVID right now, it's like, it's not going to matter. And you don't maybe know that from the outside. So it is a, it's the approach of, hey, you got to have abundance. You've got to be, you know, willing to put in as much, you know, it's still quality, but, but also have the quantity and spend the amount of time trying to have enough conversations where say two out of 10 conversations are, are good or, or two out of 
20 even, um, you need to have as, you know, a hundred conversations turns that into 10, uh, you know, real meetings versus, you know, just 20 would be two. So it's like just trying to up the quantity so that you can, you know, fill your pipeline that way. And, and you, you, you said it right there too. You never know. And how many times has this happened to all of us? Like, you know, if, if you put your, dig your heels in and you're like, Hey, it's just not the right time. I, I've got two choices. I can push back and just try like heck to get you to have a meeting, which who's that going to benefit. Right. And it probably isn't going to go anywhere after the first conversation, or I can ask some really effective questions, some tough questions, maybe, maybe get you think a little bit different and maybe we have a conversation, maybe we don't, but then you never know who, you know, and so how I handle that interaction based on your timing, you might say, Hey, it doesn't make sense for me. And then, you know, a month later, you might say, Hey, you're, you, you're talking to somebody else and you're like, Hey, you need to go talk to Tom. Like they're doing some really cool things. It just didn't make sense for us right now for, you know, we've got six other. So my point being like, you never know where another conversation can come from. So ask the tough questions, make someone think, but just because the timing's not right for them, like that's okay. You never know where that conversation, maybe timing improves in six months, right? But if you're gonna dig, when that person digs your heels in, their heels in, and then you dig yours, now you've just like got two bulls bashing horns. Like what benefit is that? Yeah. And, and if so, you're having all these conversations, say you call me and I say, hey, you know, it sounds interesting. Let's talk in six months or, you know, whatever. I, I, push, you, I push you down the line a little bit but it wasn't a bad conversation. Um, what's, do you have a, a, a tactic or a plan or a strategy for staying top of mind with those folks without being the annoying sales guy? Yeah, I'll just flat out ask, look, Tom, the last thing you need is just random emails in your inbox. We all have priorities on our plate. If I come across something specific to you where I think your team might benefit from it are you okay if i send that you know nine times out of ten someone's going to be like yeah but again when i do send something it's intentional and i'm connecting the dots of like i'm not going to just send you an article hey tom saw this article you might enjoy it like tell me why within that article it might be a value and mm. so i might do that every you know two months right like maybe i'll send a video within there like hey i know you said reach out in six months but you know, here's something I came across, or maybe I saw an industry specific article, you know, thought about you and, and how your team might be dealing with this um, and go from there. But yeah, you, but I always ask, cause if someone's like, Hey, no, just save me the trouble. Okay. That's fine. The last thing I want to do is just have one more email you need to delete. Right. Yep. And all right. So, so to pivot away for, for a minute from the tactical advice I mentioned, um, some of the refereeing and yeah. one of your posts on LinkedIn that you have kind of in the featured section is uh, your favorite coach probably yelled at me. Um, so, which I thought was pretty funny. I think it's a picture of, of, uh, is it Bob Huggins just screaming at you on the court? So can you walk me through a little bit of, of what that journey has been like? It's kind of like a, I don't know how you'd label it as, as a side project or, or a hobby or, um, whatever it is, but, but you have, you know, uh, ref games with top tier coaches, uh, as well as, you know, I mentioned before, I think some Olympic action where, where Kobe Bryant and others were there too. So it's, it's amazing just to be in the presence of some of those people. So there's, there's two big takeaways, um, from, from officiating that as I look back, 
So one is it was a PhD in human interaction. And what I mean by that is you had to be really decisive on the court. Like you can't second guess yourself. If, if, if you're second guessing yourself, you're gonna get in your own head and, and it's just a spiral effect. And then two, and it's kind of, I guess the second part would be a two part, but you learn how to handle rejection and you learn how to interact with somebody in short bursts who is not always happy, but you need to understand how you listen. Are you listening just to speak? Are you listening to hear? Or are you listening to understand? And for so long, and I think in sales, we listen to speak, right? Whether it's you on the podcast, whether it's me making calls, like we already know what we're going to say in our head. And that's how I was for so long with coaches. It's like, whatever, whenever Tom, Tom's mouth stops moving, I've got a response. Versus when you start to understand, and this is a great parallel in sales, when you start to understand, and this was a big shift for me that, you know, you mentioned Bob Huggins, he's basically the CEO of a corporation. He's got to deal with alumni and boosters. He's got to deal with his athletic director and his president. He's got to deal with, by the way, 12, 18 to 22 year olds who God only knows what they're doing when they're not on the court or in, in practice. And then he's got to manage a staff of anywhere from 10 to 20. So when you understand all these moving parts that he's got to do, and guess what that sounds like? Maybe one of our prospects, maybe they've got a sales team. Maybe they've got an operations team, a marketing team. They've got their CEO. They've got a board of directors. Oh, by the way, they've got a home life. Coaches aren't home very often. So there's some friction there that they're bringing into the court. So when you realize all of that stuff on the court or on the phone with one of our prospects, when you start to put yourself in their shoes, and I know empathy is a big word thrown around, especially in the last couple months, but when you really start to understand where they're coming from, you start to understand when they say something, you need to listen to understand so that you can have a conversation and not some preconceived how I'm going to respond when Tom asks me a question. So that, that really taught me to be present, be where my feet are, and know that when he says something, is he mad at that call or is it just everything bubbling up and that's his way of getting it out? So maybe your call, maybe your prospect has had four really bad cold calls already that morning and you just happen to be the fifth. Maybe call that out, right? Like, hey, Tom, it sounds like sounds like you're having a, a pretty rough morning. Like, let me guess, I'm, I'm the fifth bad cold call you have. I mean, you'll notice a you might not be able to see them, but you'll notice kind of them, you know, maybe take a sigh or take a breath and be like, yeah, man, it's been a, sorry to me to take it out on you. So not just going in with your preconceived notions. And then the last thing I'll add, and it was one of the books I mentioned in our conversation, and I mentioned it at the beginning, The Courage to be Disliked. When I initially walked on the court in officiating, and to a certain degree, we all experience this in sales, we want everyone to like us. And there's this big misconception that in sales, you've got to be like, no, there's a lot of people that we like that we don't do business. You've got to trust that person. And it was no different in officiating. When I walk out on that court and a coach has either seen me for the first time or he's not sure who's you know going to be on the game, he's looking over there for no other thing. He wants to know, am I going to get a fair shake tonight? That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about where you ref last night. He doesn't care about where you're refing tomorrow. He wants to know, can I trust him in the heat of the moment when the game is on the line and 15,000 people are yelling at him? Will he have the fortitude to make the right call? It might not go how I want it, but I know when I go back and look at the tape, even if it goes against me, that's who I want on my game. Someone I can trust, not someone I like. 
And so, so often in sales, like we don't ask tough questions because we think someone's, oh, he's not going to like me if I ask that question. That's not what I want to hear. So I'm not going to ask that question, but we need to ask questions for what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And it's no different in officiating, having the fortitude to know I will be, again, courage to be disliked. I'm going to do what's going to get me respect and trust. I don't care if they like me. I'm not here to be liked. I'm not here. And I don't mean that in a harsh way of like, I'm not here to make friends, but you're there to do a job. And at the end of the day, trust is better than likability. Mm. I love that. I have not read that book. The other ones that you mentioned, I have. Um, so I don't even think other than you, I've, I haven't heard it mentioned. So it's one of those under the radar books, yeah. which I love. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, um, yeah, I saw a different post about Kobe. It yeah. was something to the extent of, you know, there's an intense, you know, practice scrimmage. And then, you know, afterwards it was, all right, now, you know, no one can leave until Kobe makes 300 shots or something to that extent. Could you, could you maybe shore up where I'm missing on that story? Yeah. So um, I think the first thing that catches people off guard. So when people hear that I used to officiate, you know, international division one, and it might even been your first question. And I don't, I don't fault anyone because that's just where fans go. Some form or fashion, the question is, what's the biggest game you ever did? And I'm like, biggest crowd, biggest on the line. Like, you know, everyone always wants to ask, what's the biggest game? And people are surprised when I say my first USA basketball practice in 2012. And people are like, how could practice be the toughest thing you ever refereed? I had never been around NBA players. So I'd always just done division one. And let me tell you the jump from division one, even high level division one to your Olympic team, especially USA, it's night and day, it's not even close. And so, and, and for the listeners out there, I'll, I'll break down the, the teams real quick and it'll give everyone a little perspective. The starting lineup was Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, Chris Paul, and Tyson Chandler. The second five, and they were all in the thunder at the time, Westbrook, Harden, Durant, um, Kevin Love and Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin got hurt, so they bring in Anthony Davis and Darren Williams. And Andre, Iguodala, Andre Iguodala was your 12th man. So, yeah, the <laughs> practice you referenced, um, grueling, and I mean just intense three hours. I'm like, this, like, I can't imagine doing this every single night. This is just mentally, take the physical side apart, like, just the mental, just grueling to just be on it that much. And so three hours intense, close to the media. Um, and then they open the doors to the media and, and then Kobe gets to work for like 90 minutes. And, and I'm like, what, what, what's he doing? And I go, well, he's, you know, whatever it was like 300 or 350 makes not attempts is the big difference. Yeah. Right? So he had to make, and I'm like, God, this is incredible. And it was like a manager or somebody was like, Oh, he was here this morning. You know, he came in this morning to get shots up. And that's when it really resonated with me, Tom, that even at the highest level, like Olympic, right? Like for basketball, there's, you know, Hall of Fame, obviously, but those are arguably the 12 best at any given time. There's even levels to, to success and competitiveness, even at that level, right? Like there were some guys on the team, and I won't mention names, that they got there on talent alone, and they didn't even like do anything extra. They were like, all right, practice is over. Let's go get stretched. Let's go, you know, do whatever, which that's fine. But then you saw the next level of like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm competing with myself 
there's another level within myself that I'm always certain, like I'm, I'm, I'm content and grateful for what I have, but I'm never satisfied and I'm always going to push the envelope. And so that really opened my eyes of like, in anything you do, it's not about working harder. It's about competing with yourself. Mm. What a way to, to close the podcast. I mean, um, those things probably just have to stick with you forever too. And you, again, it goes back to what we we're saying about even some of the books about adversity or, or whatever is that it helps you to, to kind of put things in perspective and it's like, Oh, I'm you know going to send that extra email. It's like, well, there's other people in both in my industry and other industries that are, are, you know, outdoing me, no doubt about it. And so it, it kind of can help push you to that next level. So man, the mindset the mindset coach, Tom Short, I appreciate um, the knowledge that you've dropped today and, and everything that you put out on LinkedIn and, and share with the community. Where can folks get in touch with you? Where can um, people get to know you and be one of your five uh, connect calls in a given week? Yeah. So uh, Tom Short on LinkedIn, um, mindset is everything is my uh, URL, but if you just put in Tom Short, you'll, you'll be able to find me. Um, and then lapin180.com is our our website and we're, we're always doing um, webinars and, and one-off training and workshops. So um, come there if you'd like to learn more. If it makes sense to have a conversation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, Tom. Absolutely. Thanks guys.